This is the LexisNexis Torts and Personal Injury Law Community Podcast. On this edition, a review of recent news stories as reported by the editors of LexisNexis Mealy's Current and Targeted Legal News and Litigation Reports. A Pennsylvania Common Pleas Court jury on August 18th found that two women's use of Wyeth's Prempro did not cause them to develop breast cancer, and that the maker of the hormone replacement therapy should not be required to pay them damages for their illnesses. The seven-man, five-woman jury deliberated close to four hours before finding that Wyeth's hormone replacement therapy was not a factual cause of the women's injuries. Philadelphia County Common Pleas Court Judge James Murray Lynn presided over the trial. According to their lawsuit, the plaintiffs alleged Wyeth failed to adequately warn users about the risk of breast cancer associated with the hormone replacement therapy. The Pennsylvania Supreme Court August 17th held that Janssen Pharmaceutica Incorporated lacks standing under Pennsylvania law to challenge the hiring of outside counsel to represent the state in a Risperdal off-label marketing lawsuit. LexisNexis Mealy's Emerging Drugs and Devices editor Tom Moylan has that story. In 2008, the Pennsylvania Office of General Counsel sued Janssen Pharmaceutica and Janssen LP, divisions of Johnson & Johnson, alleging the defendant's off-label marketing of its Respiradol atypical antipsychotic cost the state millions of dollars in drug charges to the state's Medicaid and Pharmaceutical Assistant Contract for the Elderly Program. The trial court denied Janssen's motion to disqualify the state's outside counsel, Bailey Perrin Bailey of Houston. The Pennsylvania Supreme Court granted Janssen's motion for extraordinary relief. The state high court was asked, among other things, whether Janssen lacks standing under the state law to seek disqualification of outside counsel, whether the State Attorneys Act authorizes the Office of General Counsel to enter into a contingency fee agreement, and whether the state constitution's separation of powers clause prohibits a contingency fee agreement with outside counsel without authorization by the state general assembly. Chief Justice Ronald Castile wrote for the majority that Jansen lacked standing, ending the issue. The majority said, quote, Pursuant to the plain language of the Attorneys Act, Jansen, as a party to the action other than the Commonwealth Party, cannot be heard to challenge Bailey Perrin's authority to represent the Commonwealth Party. For LexisNexis Legal News, I'm Mealy's Emerging Drugs and Devices Editor, Tom Moylan. Citing the Supreme Court's 2009 rejection of implied preemption of pharmaceutical product liability in Wyeth v. Levine, The Sixth Circuit U.S. Court of Appeals on August 18th reversed a trial court's dismissal of claims based in negligence alleging that Wyeth's diet drug Redux caused fatal primary pulmonary hypertension, or PPH, as well as a related claim for punitive damages. That story from LexisNexis Mealy's Diet Drugs editor Michael Lefkowitz. The Sixth Circuit panel said that even before the Supreme Court's clarification in Levine, It had found in a 1993 case that the Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act does not implicitly preempt pre-approval design defect claims for drugs. The action allows Oliver Wimbush, executor of the estate of Mary Buchanan, to assert that Wyeth was negligent in bringing its diet drug Redux to the market. Buchanan took Redux for several months and was diagnosed later with PPH. She filed suit before her death two years later. 
The Northern District of Ohio found Buchanan's strict liability and negligence claims stemming from Wyeth's conduct before the FDA's approval of Redux for placement on the market were preempted by the FDA's subsequent approval of the drug. Further, it said any non-preempted post-FDA approval claims failed on the merits. In a footnote, the Sixth Circuit said, quote, It is indeed true that the question presented in Levine dealt solely with state tort inadequate warning claims versus FDA-approved labels, whereas this case pits state tort negligent bring-to-market claims against FDA approval to market, end of quote. However, the Circuit Court found that to be a distinction without a difference as Levine's rationale applies with equal force here as it did to the inadequate warning claim. It said just as state tort law on adequacy of warnings can be seen as complementary to the FDA's labeling regulation, so too can state law duties regarding the decision to bring a product to market be seen as complementary to the FDA's function of approving a drug for market. The panel affirmed the dismissal of the balance of Wimbush's claims. For LexisNexis Legal News, I'm Mealy's Diet Drugs Editor, Michael Lefkowitz. A California appeals court panel on August 12th reversed a ruling in favor of a group of restaurants accused of selling grilled meats containing a dangerous chemical without warning the public about potential cancer risks. The court found claims by a watchdog group, Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine, not preempted by federal law. The group alleges restaurants including McDonald's, TGI Fridays, Applebee's, Chick-fil-A, Chili's, Outback Steakhouse, and Burger King sold grilled chicken products and that the cooking process created a chemical known as PHIP. The group says the restaurants were required to warn consumers about the chemical under the state's Safe Drinking and Toxic Enforcement Act of 1986. A Superior Court judge found the warnings proposed were barred by federal conflict preemption. The warning, he said, quote, would frustrate the USDA's long-standing policy of promoting consumer confidence in the wholesomeness of chicken consumed by them, as well as its long-standing policy of promoting the safe cooking of chicken. Reversing, the 2nd District California Court of Appeal pointed out that the information about the level of PHIP in the defendant's grilled chicken is underdeveloped. The West Virginia federal judge overseeing the Digitech multi-district litigation issued an order staying the litigation until October 26th. U.S. Judge Joseph Goodwin of the Southern District of West Virginia did not elaborate any reasons for the stay in his order. Close to 60 Digitech product liability cases alleging that activists released Digitech tablets containing double the appropriate dosage to the public were transferred to the MDL assigned to Judge Goodwin in August of 2008. The plaintiffs allege the tablets could cause digitalis toxicity, resulting in heart, gastrointestinal, blood pressure, and vision problems. On May 21st, Judge Goodwin denied certification to a proposed economic loss class action, holding it would present major choice-of-law problems because the laws of all 50 states would be necessary to ascertain the appropriate remedies. The Seventh Circuit on August 11th affirmed the striking of a $3.5 million children's Motrin verdict by the application of Virginia's complete defense of contributory negligence. A woman who took children's Motrin for a headache had an allergic reaction. She was diagnosed with toxic epidermal necrolysis and has subsequently undergone multiple surgeries. She sued children's Motrin maker McNeil Consumer Healthcare, and the Northern District of Illinois ruled that since the woman's injuries occurred while she was living in Virginia, that state's law applied. Virginia deems contributory negligence a complete defense against negligence. 
In September 2009, a jury found that McNeil was negligent and awarded the woman $3.5 million. However, the judge also found the woman contributed negligence to her injury. A judge ruled post-verdict that because contributory negligence was a complete defense under Virginia law, judgment was entered in favor of McNeil. On appeal, the Seventh Circuit found Virginia law governs the case and dooms the appeal because there was at least some evidence of contributory negligence. In a decision released August 10th, the vaccine court special master has concluded that a petitioner failed to show how one of several vaccines, rather than some other cause, triggered a damaging episode of herpes simplex encephalitis, or HSE. Chief Special Master D. Lord said the petitioners and respondent agree that none of the vaccinations can cause HSE. Instead, the petitioners had to show that one or more of the vaccines reactivated latent herpes virus in the now five-year-old child to trigger HSE. The special master noted that the petitioners' experts barely addressed the issue of whether the vaccines could or did cause encephalitis in this case. Instead, they focused on how vaccination could have led to HSE, which they conceded was the cause of the child's catastrophic brain injury. The special master said the petitioner's expert admitted to, quote, a lot of uncertainty, unquote, over the factors that may trigger reactivation of the virus, but said the vaccination was, quote, the only reasonable explanation, unquote. Equally possible, the chief special master said, is that a reaction to seafood, a cat scratch, or the stress of being away from home at the time reactivated the latent virus. The petitioner's expert's testimony created what the special master described as a tangled skein of possibilities, not a coherent sequence of facts. For LexisNexis Legal News, I'm Mealy's Vaccines and Thimerosal Editor, Michael Lefkowitz. The 11th Circuit U.S. Court of Appeals has affirmed the exclusion of a plaintiff expert in a case against the manufacturer of a drug infusion pump. Douglas Kilpatrick underwent shoulder surgery in which a pump made by Bragg Incorporated was used to inject local anesthetic into his shoulder for 48 hours. Two years later, Kilpatrick was diagnosed with a permanent breakdown of cartilage that required a total shoulder replacement. In 2009, the Southern District of Florida granted Bragg's motion to exclude the sole causation expert, Dr. Gary Poling, and granted summary judgment. The 11th Circuit said the district court judge did not abuse his discretion. It said the court did not err by refusing to admit polling on his qualifications alone and by conducting a review of his scientific methodology. It said the trial court considered medical literature on which polling relied both in whole and in part and found it could not support polling's conclusions. The panel said polling was unable to establish a direct causal link between the use of shoulder pain pumps and Kilpatrick's condition. The Judicial Panel of Multi-District Litigation in August decided to consolidate hundreds of personal injury and economic damages claims related to the BP Gulf of Mexico oil spill to the U.S. District Court for the Eastern District of Louisiana. The JPMDL assigned Judge Carl Barbier to oversee approximately 300 lawsuits. More from LexisNexis Mealy's personal injury editor, Chris Bauer. In the order, Western District of Kentucky Judge John Haber noted that, quote, Some parties have expressed concern that recusals among Eastern District of Louisiana judges unduly limit our choices, and that even Judge Barbier may be subject to recusal. Notwithstanding these concerns, the panel is quite comfortable with its choice. Judge Barbier is an exceptional jurist who would be a wise selection for this assignment, even had those other judges in the district been available. Moreover, the Fifth Circuit recently denied a petition of certain defendants for a writ of mandamus 
directing Judge Barbier to recuse himself. The actions involved damages resulting from the April 20th explosion and fire that destroyed the Deepwater Horizon offshore drilling rig in the Gulf of Mexico. The panel decided to include the personal injury wrongful death actions in the MDL, noting that they will overlap factually with the other actions seeking economic damages resulting from the oil spill. MDL 2179 will encompass 77 actions from Louisiana, Alabama, Florida, Mississippi, and Texas. The panel has also been notified of more than 200 potential tag-along actions. Judge Barbier has scheduled the initial pretrial conference for September 17th. For LexisNexis Legal News, I'm Mealy's personal injury editor, Chris Bauer. Chinese drywall cases in Florida State Court will go forward regardless of the fact that many are duplicative of actions in the federal multidistrict litigation and other forums. A Florida judge on August 11th refused requests to stay the cases. More than 80 homeowners filed lawsuits in Palm Beach County Circuit Court based on the presence of Chinese manufactured drywall in their homes. The homeowners complained they've experienced significant damage to their homes as a result of defects in the drywall, including a sulfur-based smell that rendered the homes uninhabitable, breakdown and corrosion of the home's electrical, plumbing, and air conditioning systems, and of all other metal-based components, and absorption of the sulfur smell by other personal property. Centerline Homes and Banner Supply Company moved separately to stay the actions on the ground that they are duplicative of lawsuits now pending in other forums, most notably the federal MDL in the Eastern District of Louisiana. Judge Glenn Kelly noted the instant cases were the first filed. He explained, too, that while the court remains concerned about the possibility of duplicative claims, it was clear that an omnibus order could not be fashioned that adequately addresses the individual variations in each case or even in each class of cases. Judge Kelly said he was convinced at this point that good cause existed not to stay the Chinese drywall cases pending in his court and that the plaintiffs should be permitted to proceed. A unanimous Third Circuit U.S. Court of Appeals revived the crop damage claims of a half-dozen New Jersey blueberry farmers in August by overturning a Federal Insecticide, Fungicide, and Rodenticide Act preemption judgment for the manufacture of an insecticide applied to their berry crop. In 2008, a New Jersey federal court ruled in favor of Novartis Crop Protection Incorporated on strict liability and negligence claims brought by Indian brand farms and others. The farmers allege that contrary to claims of safety in an advertising campaign by Novartis, applying diazinon AG600 pesticide mixed with fungicides Captan and Captec damaged their blueberry plants. The Third Circuit concluded that because the farmers' claims are based on alleged misrepresentations in Novartis's marketing brochure and that the brochure does not qualify as labeling under the Act, those claims are not preempted. It also found most of the farmers provided evidence of their reliance on Novartis's alleged written misrepresentations. This edition of the LexisNexis Torts and Personal Injury Law Community Podcast was written by the editors of LexisNexis Mealies, current and targeted legal news and litigation reports. This LexisNexis Legal News Podcast, copyright 2010 by LexisNexis, a division of Reed Elsevier Incorporated. Visit all the LexisNexis communities at www.lexisnexis.com community. LexisNexis, Total Practice Solutions. This is Steve Bursler. Thank you for listening.